Let's give another hand of appreciation to our children's choirs. Amen. Good job. And their leaders. Yes. Amen. We appreciate them so much. And, uh, thank you for sharing your gifts and your hidden talents, David and Jack and, and Laramie and uh, Andrew. Now we know who to call on when we need some actors here. Good job. I enjoyed that. Uh, that was a good message, too. You know, God loves each and every one of you, and there's no problem too small for God. I, you know, it's funny. I've heard that from adults. I've heard that from adults. I've heard adults say, I don't want to bother God like God could be bothered. That's a pretty low opinion of God if we think God's like us and can be bothered. God is almighty, and there's nothing you could do to bother God whatsoever. But let me ask you something. Um, what Can you imagine a life without sin? I can't. But one day, we're going to enjoy a life without sin. There will be no temptation. There won't even be any clumsiness, clipsiness, David. No uh, mistakes, no errors, nothing like that. And it's all because of God's amazing grace, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. A couple of weeks ago, as we were looking at uh, the end of Romans chapter 5, we saw that that chapter dealt with two men, Adam and Christ. And their two acts, Adam sinned, Christ died for sin. We saw that there were two controllers of our soul. There was either, we were either controlled by sin or we were controlled by our new life in Christ. And there were also two destinies, heaven or hell. And uh, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they're no longer controlled by Adam's sin. They're no longer controlled by um, the fact that the devil seems to be against us. Do you know something? I want to let you know something this morning is that we will never be apart from sin in this life. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're not controlled by sin. But just like I've heard people say what David thought up here, his character. What was your character's name again? Huh? Andy, just like Andy thought up here, mistakenly that God didn't care, and he says things, people say things like that about God. I've heard Christians say false things too, like, well, I can't help but sin. It's just who I am. I've heard people say, that's just my nature. I, I blow my stack, and then I get over it real quick. I can't help it. Or I can't help it, I worry. I'm a worry wart. That's, that's, I, I just can't help it, that's who I am. Or whatever it is that you might be afflicted with, that you would say, it's just who I am. Well, I want you to know that that's not who you are. Are you bound to that sin? 
That's what we learned in Romans chapter 5. Then we come to chapter 6. Chapter 5 ends like this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So Paul asks a question in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So here's the question. If God gives more grace with more sin, why not keep sinning to get more grace? Doesn't that make sense? That's what Paul says. He says, where sin is abundant, God's grace is abundant. So if we follow logically, we would say, okay, then if I want more grace, I must what? Sin more. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's amazingly how many of us live like that. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, it's easier to ask forgiveness than what? How many of us live like that? I mean, I've used that phrase before, not necessarily in relation with God, but with other things. And, and sometimes we live that way with God. We live as if we're still bound to sin. We still live as if that, okay, I'm going to sin, and I'm going to do this intentionally, but I know God's grace, he will forgive me. That's the concept of license. In other words, some Christians mistakenly think that they can get saved, and then it's a license to sin as much as they want. And God's going to forgive them. They're saved. Nothing's going to change their destiny. They're going to heaven. But that's a wrong view, and if that's part of your heart, then I would imagine that you truly never were converted in the first place. But some mistakenly attack this idea of license with legalism. Whereas we're still bound to the law. Well, the law says you've got to keep the Sabbath. The law says you've you, you got to uh, do all these rules and regulations and, and uh, rites and rituals. That keeps you from going off over here and having a license to sin. You've got to be strict and, and obey the law and toe the line. And there are Christians who think that, very legalistic in their thinking, very strict. But this chapter is going to teach us that we're, not, we're no longer bound to sin, nor are we bound to the law, but we are bound to Jesus Christ. So let's look at that. Paul says in verses 1 through 5, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So he says, first of all, this, we are dead to sin, but we're raised with Christ. So he, he gives us four words here that I want to share with you. You see the outline on the back of your bulletin. We are baptized into Christ. Now, that phrase baptized into Christ means it's equal to our salvation experience, our being made right with God. I've told you my testimony many times. I'm not going to rehearse it this morning. I'm just going to tell you that it happened when I was six years old. That night, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I was immediately, instantaneously baptized into Christ. There was no water present. We weren't at church. We weren't in the baptistry. I was baptized into Jesus Christ. I was 
identify with him. You see, this word baptize has in the Greek two basic meanings. One means to dip or immerse, like you see that happens in that pool right there. The second is a figurative meaning, which means to be identified with. So that night in my dad and mom's bedroom, when I gave my heart to Christ, I was baptized. I was identified immediately, instantaneously with him. One author said Paul's, the illustration he uses here is baptism. Our water baptism, when we get in that pool, pictures what happened that night, that day, that time when you gave your life to Jesus. The, the, the baptism in the water is just an outward, visible expression of what Jesus did the moment you gave your life to him. I love talking about baptism with children and explaining it to them because they understand it even more readily than, than adults do often. Jesus was baptized, and I often tell them that. Sometimes we mistakenly think that we get in that water, and that water washes away our sin. I like to tell the kids, there's nothing special about that water. You can swim in it, you can take a bath in it, or you can drink it, preferably not after you take a bath in it. But there's nothing special about that water. It's not holy water. There's no such thing, by the way, in my opinion. Uh, but in the sense that it's been set aside for God's purpose, it's holy. But it hasn't been anything special. We just filled it up with regular old municipal Thomasville water. Doesn't wash your sins away. And I tell them, I say, you know, Jesus was baptized. Did Jesus sin? No. Why did he need to be baptized? Did Jesus need to repent? That was what John's baptism was. It was a baptism of repentance. Did he need to repent or turn away from anything in his life? No. Why was he baptized? Well, one reason he was baptized is to, I, to be identified with the Father. You remember at Jesus' baptism, the Bible says, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven. You know what the voice said, don't you? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. See, God was speaking from heaven and saying, he's mine. At Jesus' baptism, John resisted, said, no, you need to baptize me. Jesus said, no, we have to do it this way. This is what God wants. This fulfills righteousness. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew it was going to be at that moment that would begin his public ministry, it would begin with identifying himself with God the Father and God identifying himself with his Son. And that's what we do when we're baptized. That water baptism, it just shows everybody what happened the night you gave your life to Christ or the day you gave your life to Christ, that you became identified with him. Paul says we're baptized into Christ. He says we died with Christ in, chapter, in verse 3. He says in verse one, uh, verse 2, How shall we who died to sin? And he says, As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. He says in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. He says in verse 8, Now if I died or we died with Christ. So Paul says we died. One writer asked, How many people were crucified on Calvary 
Well, there were two thieves. And then, of course, Christ himself. So we would say three. But were those all? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. So there's four. But Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, we are crucified with Christ. We died with him. So now we can't even count how many were crucified with Christ. I bet you've never thought much about that, have you? Perhaps you have. But Paul is saying here, when Christ died, I died. When Christ died, we died. That is, those who came to faith in him. You say, well, that happened much later. Well, let's first of all remember that the time is no concept with God. We can't imagine that. We think very linear, linearly. We think from birth to death in a straight line. God is not bound by time. He's not bound by space. And so the moment we gave our lives to Christ, at that moment of our time, the death that Christ died was superimposed upon our spiritual uh, death, so to speak. So what did we, what died? Well, we see there in verse uh, 6, our old man was crucified. That sinful nature died with Christ. Died. And when something's dead, it no longer has power over you. And that's what Paul is trying to say. And by the way, this is what I like to ask kids, and I try to explain this as much as I can to on a level where a kid can understand it. But uh, I often ask this question, have you ever had a pet? Yes. Have you ever had a pet that died? They usually say yes. And I said, what happened? One little kid said, we flushed it. <laughs> I said, well, let's pretend it was a dog or a cat. <laughs> Not a goldfish. I said, what happened after you, it died? Did you keep it in the house and keep playing with it? Did you keep petting it? Did you keep feeding it? Did you keep watering it? No. But that's how we treat our sinful nature. We nurture it. We act as if it still is there. I mean, yes, it is there. And we'll talk about that more later. It's still present. Paul said sin is still present with me. Yes, it's still here. That's why I say when we get to heaven, we won't be in the presence of sin. We still are able to be tempted with it. We're still able, able even to choose to commit sin. But we died to its power over us. We don't have to give in to it. We don't have to nurture it and play with it and, and, and dabble in it. So we, Paul says in verse 4, he says, Therefore we were buried with him. What do you do with dead things? You bury them. And see, that's what I tell them. When you're standing there, when you come down into that baptistry and you're standing there, you're telling people, first of all, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. When he died, I died to my old sinful self. And when I put you under that water, you're saying to everybody there, what died is now buried. And then I ask them, now, when I pick you up out of the water, what do you think that means? And almost without fail, every one of them says, 
It means I've been raised to a different life, a new life. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 4. He says, if we've been buried with Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Christ. So you see, he said we're baptized into Christ, we died with Christ, we're buried with Christ, we're raised with Christ. Now, now the New Testament mode or method of baptism was undoubtedly, and all most every scholar agrees, undoubtedly the method of baptism in the New Testament was how we practice it, immersion. The word baptized means to dip under, that's part of the word, okay, to dip under. In fact, many of you may not know, but we, first of all, as Baptists, we, we used to be called the Dunkers. You know that? Aren't you glad we changed our name? Dawson Street Dunker Church. First Dunker Church. The Missionary Dunker Church. I'm glad we changed the name. The language of the New Testament suggests strongly immersion. It says when Jesus came up out of the water. When Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, it says they went down into the water. This passage here teaches us what happened when we got saved. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We are raised with Christ. Now I ask you, when you see baptism, do you see what I just read in Romans 6? Dead. What? Buried and raised. Which method of baptism illustrates that the best? Immersion. Now this is not a message about baptism. It's a message about the fact that we died to something and that that something no longer controls us. We're, not, we're no longer identified with sin. We are identified with Christ. Verse 5 says, we have been united together with Christ. We are dead to sin. We are crucified to sin. Therefore, the body of sin, he says, has been done away with. Just as a believer, when we die, we shed our earthly body, and we're no longer prone to suffering, to disease, to pain, to sorrow, or to sin. And we take on the spiritual life and the spiritual body where those things no longer afflict us so the so too is the one who is saved and identified with christ not that we can't physically suffer but this sin even the nature of sin the presence of sin around us and with us does not have power over us we don't have to give into it we've been freed from it because we're now dead to sin we can no longer live in it. Notice I said we can no longer live in it. Just as a believer who's died can no longer be bound by the physical body, a living believer can no longer be bound by the sin that dominated him at one time. You see, chapter 5 is about Adam and Christ, two men. One, Adam, we all inherited his sinful nature. 
We were born with it. And all of our lives, sin dominated us, ruled us. But when we gave our lives to Christ, we died to Adam, and we've been made alive to God. But yet many Christians don't understand that. They think that they still are bound to that old sinful nature. God said through Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. In other words, the devil wants you and I to be convinced that we're bound to sin. And if we're bound to sin, then we're slaves. Are you a slave to sin? Or have you, as the next point talks about, been freed from sin? And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. We're no longer slaves. He says in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been what? Freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. See, because of our death to sin and our identification with Christ, we are freed from sin. We no longer have to serve sin as our master. Before we were saved, sin was our master. After we're saved, who's our master? Who? Jesus. What did Jesus say about two masters? Right. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll cling to one and despise the other. So let me ask you, when you look at Christ and sin, which one are you clinging to? Which one are you loving? Which one are you serving? Which one are you despising? Which one are you hating? Which one are you shunning? Ask yourself that in your life. That ought to tell you where you are in your relationship with him. As far as the outline goes on the back of your bulletin, we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 6, the body of sin has been done away with. It's been rendered inoperative, no longer has power over us. That doesn't mean we cannot sin. It means we cannot continue to live in sin. We cannot sin and enjoy it. We cannot sin and get away with it. We cannot sin without conviction and the Holy Spirit, as I say, eating your lunch. How many of y'all know what I mean? When you sin, you feel immediate conviction. Oh, you may enjoy it while you're doing it, but as soon as it's over, what do you feel? Shame, guilt, conviction. And then even at that point, you, you realize that what the devil promised you, he didn't deliver on. And then at, at that point, he says, well, you, now you can't go to God because you've, you've got, uh, you approach this the wrong way. You, you thought God would forgive you. He's not going to forgive you. You abuse the privilege of, of your salvation. So don't worry about going back to God. Now that you've done it once, just go ahead and do it again. And, and then again, and then again. And before long, because we listened to him, we're way out here. Far away from God. But see, we need to quit listening to the devil in the first place. But even after we sin, we need to 
quit listening to him and say, you know what? Yes, I have sinned. I have dis- I have done things that have shame. I feel so ashamed of. I'm so ashamed to come before God like the tax collector in the temple. Pharisee was proud. This man was ashamed. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And that's how we need to come to God. Say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 7 says we're freed from sin. Verse 9 says it no longer has dominion over us. Dominion meaning rule. You see, Jesus not only paid the penalty for sin, that's death, he broke the power of sin's ability to rule in your life. And when you got saved, that's what happened. He broke sin's penalty. He rescued you from eternal death. But he also broke the power of sin. It cannot control you any longer. And that's the part we skip. For some reason, you don't hear that talked about much. But Jesus broke that power. Sin dominated the world from Adam. But sin lost its power through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're now bound to him. So no genuine believer can love and serve sin. You see, our death to sin and freedom from sin was accomplished by God. It was an act of God when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished, completed. Notice the words in this chapter denoting action that was completed on our behalf. Like verse 5 says, we have been united. Verse 7 says, he who has died has been freed, as if someone was doing it for us. It's exactly what happened when you got saved, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, when you gave him your heart. He did the acting of forgiving you. He did the acting of delivering you. He did the acting of freeing you from sin. But now what we're going to pick up with next time, when we come to verse 11, we begin to see the tense of the verbs changing. Like in verse 11, it says, reckon yourselves. In other words, we have a part in living out our death to and freedom from sin that God accomplished for us. We have a responsibility. We have skin in the game. So here's the last phrase I want you to take home with. You see, some said, I'm saved now. I've got all this grace because I've had all this sin. So now that I'm saved, I can just keep on living in sin and doing what I want to do because the more I sin, the more God's going to forgive me, the more grace I'm going to have. And that's how Paul, what Paul was addressing here. And that's how many Christians then and now are living. So here's what I want you to take home with. It's not a freedom to sin so grace may abound. It's a freedom from sin because of abounding grace. That's what I want us to remember. That's what God wants us to remember. His amazing grace forgave us of sin and freed us from its power. That, If we could grasp that, I think we would live more in victory than we do right now. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true and living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce the soul and divide asunder between soul and spirit and discern our thoughts and our intents. And Lord, I pray that that's what it's done today. 
And I pray, Father, knowing that today you have taught us, you've shown us your word about what you've done for us and freeing us from sin's power. So, Lord, we've declared our faith in you. We've been baptized as an outward illustration of what you've done inside of our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that we would live free, free from sin, but bound to Christ, dead to sin, raised with Christ. You said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, I pray that that would be what we experience every day of our lives. And Lord, when we do sin, when we make that choice and listen to that voice from the devil and we fail and and mess up, God, I pray that we would run to you, run to you, not run from you. And Lord, that we'd realize that you're not bothered even by our sin, our spiritual clutch. Knowing, Lord God, that your grace is sufficient to forgive our sin as well as your grace is sufficient to keep us from sin. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to respond to this message in a public way, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the boldness and courage. Maybe they need to receive Jesus Christ, surrender their life, give their heart to him. Maybe they need to rededicate their life to you. They've been walking a guilty distance from you, and Lord, they... They realize their life is meaningless and purposeless and they're ready to come home. Maybe, Lord, you're leading someone to be a part of this church family. Lord, someone here just needs prayer and encouragement. So, Lord, whatever your will is during this time of invitation, I pray that you'll help us respond obediently. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You do what God's leading you to do this morning.